morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm going to be reading from Philemon 1, uh, 4 to 7. I thank, my, I thank my God always when I remember you, when, when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you, you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from, from your love. My brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. Not through this. There we go. So a couple of weeks ago, um, I ran the Two Oceans Half Marathon. And uh, if you have ever run that race, it's a, it's a really beautiful run. They call it the world's most beautiful marathon. That's the 56. And the 21 is close to it. It's, it's stunning. And I, I preach a lot about running because I enjoy it um, in a strange way. And a lot of you look at me skewly, and this is where you lose me. When I say I enjoy running, you're like, okay, there's that strange guy going again. But I do enjoy it. And I ran this race, and there is a famous hill at about kilometer 13 called Southern Cross Drive. Heard of Southern Cross Drive? Come on, you guys are like half asleep. You've... Southern Cross Drive is about, it's just under three kilometers of climbing. And uh, it just feels like it never ends. You know, you, you, you think you're at the end and you're about a quarter way through it. It just is one of those hills that goes and goes and goes. And so when you're training, you have that in the back of your mind. Every hill you run up, you're saying, Southern Cross Drive is coming. Southern Cross Drive is coming. And you train and you prepare yourself because once you get to the summit of that, it feels like you've almost got to the end of your race. So a couple of weeks ago, I get to run this race, and I'm so just privileged to run it and absolutely loving it. But Southern Cross arrives. And it's impossible to run through Southern Cross Drive without it beginning to burn like anything. Your legs begin to burn. Your hip flexors, right? Claire, where are you? These are those things. And you begin to feel your hip flexors burning and, and your posture begins to hunch over. The, the higher you climb up this hill, your, your breathing is getting more intense. Your heart rate is climbing and your face is getting uglier by the moment. Trust me, I got the photos sent to me just this week. I'm not showing them to you, but it is not pretty. I haven't got one photo. I thought, oh, that's a nice one. That really looks good. No, no, it's just ugly. You're just grimacing. You are in such a, a sense of pain as you push through and you push through. And it, the, the, the thing that carries you along any run like that is the crowds. Anybody who's run a marathon or any distance run just knows that feeling. And you've got your name on your, uh, on your number. So people say your name from time to time. And it's like a rocket booster uh, that just pushes you. People naming you as they, as they go. Anyway. I get to the Southern Cross Drive, and I'm going. And as I push, I push, and I find just everything is beginning to burn. It is tiring, and I, I push. I get to about halfway, and, and it's one of those, it's like a, it, it seems to just get steeper and steeper. It's not like a nice hill where it goes this way. It goes that way. And, and by, at the very last sort of 100 meters is the steepest part. And I run, and I run, and it's burning, and it's getting sore, and I'm trying to pump my arms, and I'm trying to keep my shoulders back and keep my form right, but it is just getting so 
miserable. And, and what's worse is that there are patches where there's just no support for, for, for like a, a couple of hundred meters as you get into certain places. So I'm pushing, and I'm feeling exhausted, and for whatever reason, this little patch of the run, there's no one close behind me, there's no one close in front of me, I'm just running Manalian along this road, and everything is aching. And I see this lady up on the side of the, the, the road, and it's just her and I, like she's there, I think she's got her dog there, lovely, fluffy, fancy looking dog, and... Um, She's sitting there with a lovely, like, you know, those mink kind of coats. She just looks warm and cozy, and she's got a flat white in her hand. And uh, she, she, you know, and it's, you know, I'm like, now I'm running up a hill, and I'm feeling very slow. So this is a, like a slow motion experience, and I'm burning, and I'm plodding, and every step feels like a labor of just incredible difficulty. And I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm getting closer to this lady. And obviously, subconsciously, I'm going, what have you got for me, lady? Like, not a flat white. I mean, I need some words. Like, my name is here. You can read it. There's like, do whatever you want to just get me to the top of this hill. And I get there. I'm running, and I'm burning, and the flexes are going, and the quads are burning, and the glutes are in agony. And I get right up to this lady. And she looks at me. She smiles. She looks through me. She looks down at her dog. She says, I guess I'm all alone here. I was like, I keep running, and I go, oh, my goodness. Something in me is going, is that all you've got? Is that everything you've got in this beautiful run? These people are coming past, and the best thing you've got is, I guess I'm all alone here. And I looked at her, and I was like, I have nothing for you, lady. I'm the tired one here. I'm the exhausted person. I'm running and you have managed to amazingly make this about you. And everything in me is going, I'm so glad I'm not married to you. Because you must be hectic. If you manage to make this about you, oh my goodness, how could you possibly make other stuff about you? And as I was running, I literally, I'm, I'm focused. I'm, I, I'm not like a, I, I, when I run, I run. I run to enjoy myself, but I run as fast as I can. But I had this clear thought. Could the church be a bit like that? Could the church be a bit like this lady? Where sometimes we're on the side, we've been given so much in the gospel. We have all the feasting of, of every spiritual blessing, says the scriptures, in Christ Jesus. We've been given so much we're sitting with our flat whites. We are warm. We love each other. We've got life groups. We've got friendship. We've got encouragement. We've got, uh, we, we've got networks. We've got so much. And somehow, sometimes, we manage to still make it about ourselves. Some bizarre way. We manage to go, oh, you know, that church, there's the worship. Oh, you know, not today, guys. You were phenomenal. Or we manage to go, oh, you know, the preaching's a bit long. Not today, I promise. <laughs> oh, the kids' ministry could just be a little bit. Here's another one down the road, you know. And somehow, in all the amazing spiritual blessings, we forget that there is a world where there are whole people groups who've never heard about Jesus. That, that just down the road, there are whole suburbs that are in abject poverty. Just, just uh, in our next door, there are people struggling with radical depression and in, in, a, in seasons of deep darkness and real pain and loss. And somehow we can be focused on whether we feel like chemistry in our life group, whether we feel like it's really, you know, 
feels good on a Sunday? And actually, you know, is it a little more comfortable to lie in bed today? I just found myself thinking, could the church have some similarities to this lady? When the world is straining under the burden of guilt and sin and pain and frustration and and unable to find a, a truth that will make sense of the complex questions of identity and purpose and life. And maybe just maybe part of us is going, oh, I feel all alone here. When we're not, I don't know if that could be the case, and, but I would suggest that it could be. I think our Americanization of the church has turned the church sometimes into consumers. We become good at critiquing how it could all be a little better. And it's not even conscious. Most of the time, if we are consumeristic, it's not a conscious thing. We're not looking and kind of going, you know what? You just, you know, I, I just wish that was fixed in this. And we're not thinking we're consumers. It's, it's kind of like a subtle uh, background noise that just lives inside of us where we look at life, we look at the gospel, and we keep seeing the glass half empty, and we often see what could be better. We're looking today at a, an amazing narrative where Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to call him, um, is getting a letter written to him by a guy named Paul. Paul writes so much of the New Testament, and he writes these beautiful letters of encouragement and exhortation and correction. And today he's writing this letter to this individual. He writes a few letters to individuals, not many, but this is one of them. And he's writing to this guy Philemon, who is a wealthy follower of Jesus. He must be fairly wealthy, at least. He's influential. He's done a lot in the life of the church. And Paul is writing to him to basically encourage him forward in his faith. But in particular, he's writing because he's got this guy, Onesimus, or uh, I think that's the best way to, to say it. I've got some fun jokes around how you say Onesimus. But he's got this guy, Onesimus, who has been working with Paul, but he's actually owned by Philemon. Philemon is a slave owner. Now, this was common practice in the Roman culture. It's not necessarily like sort of 16th century slavery, but nonetheless, it was a limiting factor on a person. If you were somebody's slave, you were beholden to them leading and, and kind of choosing your future. And Paul is writing in part to Philemon to say, hey, I think it's best that you let this man free. I think because he is actually a brother in Christ, you should let him free. And you should let him become the person God's called him to be. And you shouldn't be uh, his master, so to speak. That's how the power that some people had. If they were their slaves, they could set them free and let them become you know, self-standing citizens in the society. And Paul's writing. And at some parts, he says, I, I could actually force you as, a, as, as kind of your leader, but I'm, I'm going to ask you in love to do this. I want you to release him. And, and Onesimus is the guy who's bringing, Paul the, uh, bringing Philemon Paul's letter. So he's literally going, here's a letter that is actually encouraging you to let me free. That's a vulnerable experience, you can imagine, as he does this. And so Philemon brings this letter. Ach, Paul, ach, Paul sends this letter via Onesimus to Philemon. And he's simply saying, hey, I, I want you to get this. But, but Philemon is not a bad guy, by the way. Uh, you know, we all become followers of Jesus, and we, we bring our stuff and in that culture, owning a slave was just normative. You didn't know it was a, a bad thing until somebody told you. And, and it's, it's really important to understand that. There's, there's stuff we come into faith with, and slowly but surely, God sanctifies us. And Paul is writing and going, hey, I want to help you to understand that this is going to be good. Good for you, good for him, and it's going to be really good 
for the gospel. And so it's a vulnerable, it's an encouraging, but it's a difficult letter. But I suppose Paul's also kind of always infusing all his letters with a sense of the gospel. He, yes, he's challenging him, but he's also challenging him because he knows that Philemon has, has so much more than just a slave. He's got God. He's, he's got the gospel. He's been reconciled to God. He's received amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And he has, uh, you know, he's got a wonderful future. And so he shouldn't be uh, threatened by this, although nobody necessarily likes getting told what to do, right? Like being told what to do? Some of you, not many. But what's cool about this little passage is that Paul isn't coming to him with pure correction. In fact, he writes to Philemon and he says, man, you're doing a great job in so many ways. So don't hear, the, hear what's not going. He says, firstly, I thank God when I remember you in my prayers. Paul thinks a lot about Philemon. He prays for him because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He's going, you are amazing. You're a, you're a man of love. He's pioneering the planting of a local church. Philemon is a guy who's giving himself sacrificially. And he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may come, become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let me tell you, Philemon is not standing on the side of the road going, oh, there's some all alone here. He, he's invested. He's giving of himself. He's participating. He's, he's pouring grace. He's sharing his faith. He's sharing his faith with believers. He's sharing his faith with not yet believers. He believes he's got a message worth giving, and he's living it as best he possibly can. And Paul even says, for I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So it's not all bad, but there are some challenges coming his way. So what do we derive from this? What do we pick up? And I just want to suggest a couple of things that we can pick up so that we avoid becoming the kind of church that reflects that consumeristic, Western, Americanized kind of stand on the side and look at ourselves when there's a world that's burning, when there's so much to be done in the name of Jesus. And so I want to suggest as we begin to give ourselves, what I want to suggest today is that you share it, that you share your faith. Let's begin to share it. And, and the context here, when he talks about deriving joy because you've been sharing your faith, the commentators are divided. Is he sharing his faith with believers or is he sharing his faith with unbelievers, people who don't believe? And it seems like, actually, it's, it's intended to be a little bit unclear. It's almost as though Paul is going, it's just that you share it. It's just that you've got this amazing, generous heart, whether you are with believers and you're encouraging them and you know, pouring out love so that they keep following Jesus, or if you're helping unbelievers to find the goodness of Jesus so that they can see who God is and how loving he really is, it doesn't matter. Both are important, and it seems like Paul is writing about both. So I want to suggest a few things to, do, to you out of this. Firstly, I want to suggest to you that you have the ability to provide joy, comfort, and refreshing. You have the ability. Philemon had the ability, and so do you. Look at that in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's writing to Philemon. Philemon's not perfect. We'll see this, and we'll, we'll get uh, acquainted with that. But for now, he's recognizing something about Philemon, who is an ordinary believer who has the ability to bring refreshing and encouragement to the saints. We're in an interesting 
parenting stage at the moment. If you've got kids, you know that you know, just, be, just as you're saying, wow, we're in a cool season, you get into an interesting season. And we were saying that a couple of months ago, and now we're kind of being humbled by our statements of how good and easy things are. We've got somebody who is managing to affect the whole family quite easily in a negative way. And the attitude and the grumpiness and that sense of, no, I won't, and the stubbornness has this incredibly powerful effect over the, all five of us. And um, I've been kind of, I'm not going to name who it is. You can probably start guessing if you know us well enough. But I began to strategize. And Nix and I are asking the question, what do we do? How do we help this child to, to realize that actually their life and their attitude can actually affect all of us? She, she, she can actually do stuff that makes a difference. And so I found myself looking at my daughter, which is still one of three. You take your guess. <laughs> I'm pleading with her, and I say, do you know that your words and that your actions have power? It's like magic power that you've got, that you can make us all feel very special and very joyful, or you can make us feel like rubbish, and you can take us all down with you into this very sad place. Do you understand that you've got that power? Didn't work. <laughs> but we push on. But I hope that you know that. I hope that you, as a, as a person who has received grace from Jesus Christ, if you have, and I will help you if you haven't, and, and, and we will help you, by the way. I can't do it all. But we want to guide you to understand that in, in Jesus Christ, you don't just have a lovely fairy tale story that will make you feel good when you're down. In Jesus Christ, you have heaven and earth's true king. You've got God who incarnated and became a man, who did what we could never do on our behalf. He died the death we should have died. He rose again in triumphant victory over sin and Satan and death. And he provides life that we can engage with and relationship that we can have in God that can help us through the darkest of nights, that can teach us what we were originally created to be, who we are created to be, that can give us a fresh sense of purpose that will transcend your darkest nights and your highest achievements. God's amazing grace comes to walk with you and love you and forgive you and free you from that nagging, gnawing sense of guilt and, and that, that difficulty to find your place in this weird planet that we find ourselves on. God in his loving, fatherly creator rights comes and he kisses us with grace and he affirms us and he brings us into his purpose and he says, you are mine and I am yours. Let's change the world together. And he brings us into that and he calls us into that. And he empowers us then. And he says, you've got power, you've got strength, you've got authority to change the atmosphere of the world in which you live. Like Adam and Eve, we're called to, to have authority and to subdue darkness and to, to bring light and to change the world and to extend Eden. You've got that mandate given back to you by Jesus to go with all authority from heaven and on earth to make disciples and to transform the world and to bring life where there, light where there's darkness and life where there's death. You have it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been mandated, you've been called. You haven't needed to graduate. You're it. You're God's final plan to change the world. It's an amazing thought. Just like we look at our daughter and say, do you know that you've got it? 
I want to look at you and tell you that in the Scriptures, do you know that Jesus, the, the, the one who is all authority in heaven and earth, says, you've got it. You've got the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to go and set the temperature around you. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What a wonderful reminder. You've got it. You've got it. Don't wait. Don't wait to graduate. Hey, second thought, I think that Philemon is, is, is teaching us as we read this from Paul, is that you can't know all you have in Jesus unless you share it. You can't know all you have in Jesus unless you begin to share it. Are you with me? If you came with someone, say that to them. You can't know all you have until you begin to share it. Tell that to the person next to you. Are you embarrassed, Charles? Oh, good. I don't know if you picked that up. I'm sorry the verses aren't up there, but basically Paul writes here and he says, you know, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So he's saying this. He's saying that as you share it, as you give it away, it will have an effect on you that will help you to understand what exactly you've got. It will so transform you. you. If you keep it to yourself, you become a bit like the, the Dead Sea. You block it up, and there's no life in it. As you let it out, you become a life-giving source, and you yourself are regenerated as you share it. This is a, a powerful principle that happens all the time in our lives. You know, you, you're that guy who goes to a marriage talk, and you fold your arms, and you roll your eyes as you listen. You know, the wife talks, then the husband talks, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Got it, got it, got it, and you feel like you've heard it all before, and then you get home, and then you get to work, and your buddy is going through a difficult marriage time, and you find yourself giving advice, and you ask yourself, where did you get that advice from? Oh, Sherbert, I got it from the guy who I rolled my eyes at, and here I am speaking it like I believe it, and as I begin to speak it, I start to believe it, and it actually shapes the way I do marriage. And there's something profound, and as I share it, it begins to make more sense of what I've got. It's, it's, it really is well studied and, and documented. Studies show that processing and repeating what we're learning and going through, both in writing and in conversation, so deepens and grows our revelation of what we're, we're actually going through. I've read a, a number of interesting studies about that. That's why we always say, hey, if you want to keep growing in your faith, Go be with Jesus and, and, and spend time with him and, and journal. Write it down. Write down what you're learning because in the secret place with God, you begin to deepen your convictions as you, as you write it down, as you journal it, as you process through what you're learning. You put it down. You're almost t teaching yourself, and as you teach it, your conviction grows. It's, it's the same almost getting to life group. We, we keep saying get to life group. Why? Because as you process it, it's one thing having in your head going, oh, I've got information. You sit down in life group, and you say, this is how it made sense of my life this week. And this is how that talk on trusting God impacted what I was doing with my, uh, my money. And suddenly you tell somebody, and the next thing you know, you're believing it way deeper than if it's just information. You see, as you share it, you become, uh, it becomes effective in helping you to develop a, a conviction for what exactly you believe and what it is God has given you. I used to have this friend who would... Uh, 
He's a movie fundy. He still is. He loves movies. And we shared a digs for three years. And he would watch a movie. And then he would tell me about a movie. Then he would play the movie. And he would watch me watch the movie. <laughs> you know those, I don't know if you've got a friend like that. And they're like, he's literally watching me going, it's funny, eh? And I'm like, <laughs> and, and it's like his conviction grew about this movie as he watched me laugh at the jokes that, uh, you know, that he thought were hilarious. And I felt this huge pressure to laugh when he thought it was hilarious. But there's that sense that as you share it, as you give it away, your conviction deepens about how good this thing is. If you're holding on to the gospel, and, and all it is is this little comfort for you in the mornings, and you, you've got a relationship with God, great. But, but it's in the sharing that this thing turns to life. I want to suggest a few things you need when it comes to becoming effective in growing in your revelation of the gospel. You need a whole bunch of different types of friends and, 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 and people in your life. From time to time, you're going to need an addicted friend to show them the all-satisfying nature of Jesus. And as you show the all-satisfying nature of Jesus to your addicted friend, you will grow deeper conviction that Jesus is all-satisfying. If you don't have that friend and you don't get to share it, you live in a sense of, I, I know in theory he's all-satisfying. When I tell my friend who is struggling in the grips of addiction that actually there's a better way. Come, let's do this thing together. Come with me, I'll help you. We can do it. You begin to be so enjoying of Jesus when you realize he's helped you out of some of your addictions. And actually there's some little addictions that maybe you need to deal with. Maybe it's shopping, maybe it's social media, maybe it's whatever else, maybe it's your self-image. And as you walk with someone else, you begin to realize, oh, I've got some stuff but he's so kind. Just as I help that person, so too God helps me. As I share, we need some addicted friends. We need some rich friends. We need to help them to see that true riches are only found in Christ. We've got we to help to express that. We need some poor friends to help them to see that true riches are only found in Christ and to help them to see that we are not identified by what we own or what we can do with our futures or how empowered we are or where we can go. We need to be able to share that, to go, you know what? I'm not beholden to what I've got. I'm beholden to, to my king. He can take me anywhere. He can take my stuff away, but I've got him. We need an anxious friend to show Jesus is true peace. And as you share with your anxious friend that Christ is in control, you'll find that your anxieties also get processed in that way. It's not, hey, I've got it all and you've got nothing. It's, hey, I've got something that is helping me and I want to help you. And as I share, it becomes effective in helping me to see what I've got in Christ. Are you tracking with me here? You need a fearful friend. You need a fearful person in your life who's afraid of stuff. You've got them, but you've got to share what you've got in Christ, that there is one in control who actually knows what tomorrow holds, so you don't need to worry. He said it with his very own words, and those words are alive, and you can share them. If you don't have a fearful friend that you can share that with, fears might consume you. You need to understand that you've got something that you give away, and as you give it away, it becomes effective in seeing who Christ is. You need a selfish friend. You need a selfish person in your life who loves themselves, who loves hoarding and, and speaking about themselves, who stands on the side of the road and goes, oh, I'm all alone has no conception of other people's needs, doesn't care about other people. You need to help them to turn their eyes of themselves, 
to look out at the world that is so filled with need. And as you help them, you'll see that God will help you to see also that there's some selfishness maybe in you. And that he really is as good as you say he is as you help your selfish friend to look up and to look out. You need a sad person in your life to help them to find true joy. You've got these people, by the way. The question is, are you sharing this? Or are you holding on? Do you really believe that this gospel message is that good? That with Philemon, you can share your faith. This is a, it has some evangelistic power. Yes, I'm, I'm partly talking about evangelizing, sharing our faith. I want us to grow in a, our ability to share our faith. But, but I, can you see how this is a, a much more kind of holistic version of sharing your faith? It's about helping our world that is straining up Southern Cross Drive as their tendons are burning under the pressures of life in a fallen, sinful world. And we say, I've got something. I found Christ, and he really can help you. And you know what? It's okay. They might laugh at us. But you keep helping because you understand that even when you laughed at, you will find what you've got in Jesus evermore. Isn't that amazing? If people laugh at you for sharing the answer to Jesus, that, that the answer is Christ and that he can really help you, you're going to discover an intimacy with Christ you could never have imagined. What a wondrous experience when you get uh, derided and you get scoffed and mocked for your faith. Wow. Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are you when you share it and it gets thrown, shoved back in your face. Oh, you'll know a sense of what it means to be with Jesus more than ever. He, was, he had it shoved in his face proper, sent him to the cross. You need a friend in a tough marriage season because you'll see what it means to find and help somebody through that and you will find Christ's grace in your marriage. You have got friends like this. You really do. And I want to encourage you to begin to share it. In the sharing, it'll become effective in helping you to see what you've got in the gospel. Keep it to yourself, and the gospel might get a little boring, actually, because it's made to move. The gospel has legs. It's got wings. It's got life. And it needs to be on the move, lest it loses its sense of power and beauty. You're made to share it, and you can share it. Hey, as you do that, you may bless beyond the scope of your awareness. You may bless way beyond what you could imagine. I don't think that Philemon had any idea that Paul, in Rome, as he writes this letter from prison, is getting joy and encouragement from Philemon's life. There's no chance he knew that. There's a message going back from Onesimus, who, who goes from Philemon, goes to Rome, tells Paul what's going on. He didn't say, hey, just make, you know, make sure Paul knows what I'm up to and how good the job is that I'm doing. He just derived amazing joy. He encouraged a saint on the other side of the continent by simply doing the stuff of obedience to Jesus, by simply loving, by simply sharing, by simply obeying Christ. You may find that just by virtue of doing the stuff you're doing, there's an unexpected blessing that pours out. I heard this lovely story. I've been trying to trace it down in the book, and I haven't found the exact book, but I heard the story, and I know it's true. Lee Strobel um, is a famous author, and uh, he wrote, I think, the book The Case for Christ and a few others. Anyway, he tells the story. He was working as a journalist at the Chicago Post or some newspaper like that, and he's leaving the office the one afternoon, and as he's leaving the office, he hears what he believes is like a whisper from the Holy Spirit, go back and invite your friend to church this Easter. 
So Strobel says, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. That's awkward, and he's an atheist, and he just feels like, I must go back. So he turns around, goes back into the office, gets up the left into the office, and goes to his atheist friend, and he says, hey, man, I just wanted to invite you to church this Easter. Would you like to come? And his atheist friend says, no, thank you. I really wouldn't like to come, and you won't see me there. And he didn't see him there, and he never pitched up. A year later, a guy comes up to, this, to, to Lee Strobel, and he says, I just want to thank you. You don't know this, but when you went and invited your friend who turned you down, I was behind the desk cleaning something on the floor, and I heard your invitation, and I went to church that Easter, and I took my whole family, and he introduced his family, his wife and his two kids, who had beautifully come to faith that time, that Easter, and we're now living, loving Jesus, living in beautiful relationship with Christ. And Strobel went, wow, God took me back. I thought I was going back for my atheist buddy. And actually, there was someone I didn't know hiding behind the desk who heard my invitation, accepted my invitation, went and did what I suggested they should do, and beautifully came into relationship with God and is living with a family who are all in this beautiful sense of flourishing. You might be surprised by the impact of your life and the love that you offer and the, the shared love that you give, the faith that you provide to other people. It might not come back exactly how you expect. I think we could tell millions of stories of how we thought it was going to land like that and God did something way better. But don't stop sharing. Keep sharing. You could bless beyond the scope of even what you're aware of. Hey, and then like Philemon, don't wait till you're perfect to share it. Paul's not writing to a perfect guy. This is a guy who's going to start grappling with, do I ever release the slave? Have I, have I got it in me? He's, he's going to, he knows this message is coming. No doubt that the church have begun to ask the question about this whole slave thing. And here he's getting a letter, and Philemon is getting both an encouragement. Well done. You're sharing your faith amazingly. People all around the world are, are encouraged, including the great apostle Paul is going, wow, Philemon, thank you. You are stoking my heart with love. But you've still got some stuff. Still a slave owner. You've still got some, some proper things to deal with. I think sometimes we go, you know, like the whole sharing thing, like really going out and sharing, that's, it's for the higher grade Christians. And we, we, we let ourselves off the hook, and we don't realize that right under our noses is an amazing opportunity to be a person of love and to find ourselves becoming so deeply engrossed in the wonder of the gospel and as long as we're at arm's length from the, the actual sharing, from getting our hands dirty in the gospel, in actually connecting with the lonely, the lost, the least, the disappointed, the depressed, and helping them to find Christ in the simple acts of love and the complex words of, of you know, professing our faith. And sometimes I think we miss out because we just disqualify ourselves. We just look at our habits. We look at one of the two of the sins that we just can't seem to shake off. Because of that, we go, well, I'm just not ready. How could I share? I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. Well, Philemon was a hypocrite. But it didn't stop him from loving as best he could. And, and the hope is that when you realize you've got some stuff, deal with it. We're a team of family that want to help each other deal with our stuff. If you've got some obvious known sin that you're trying to deal with, hey, share it. We'll walk together. But don't stop sharing Christ. Continue to love people as best you possibly can. We were at a student camp uh, last weekend, uh, just for the Friday night. 
And uh, there were two major take-homes. The one was we, uh, we were at this Q&A moment, about 50 students uh, on a Saturday morning, and we asked the question, uh, my friend Paul asked the question of these 50 students. He said, who of you came to faith in Jesus because somebody explained the gospel and then, you know, used, you know, all, helped you with any of your scientific objections and helped you through any of those other big questions? How many of you were helped, you know, in the, the technical term is apologetics, like had a fancy, you know, scientific Christian who could really help you to get it? How many of you came to faith through somebody explaining it like that? Not one. These guys are all about to get their honors degrees and their doctorates at Stellenbosch University, and not one person was convinced into faith. They said, and, and how many of you came to faith because of relationship, because a friend or a family member, member just loved you and walked with you and helped you through your life? 50 out of 50. You see, sometimes I think we disqualify ourselves because I'm not intelligent enough. I can't explain it. What if they ask me about, like, you know, where did sin come from? Who created God? Like, what about all these, like, difficult questions? What if they don't really care? What if they really want to know, am I loved? Do I have a place in this world? I'm really confused by this identity stuff. Could somebody help me? My marriage really is broken. Could you honestly walk with me? I'd suggest that that is what Philemon was doing so well amongst his brokenness and his stuff that he had to deal with. And Paul's going to challenge him in, in verse 10 to actually stop the slave stuff. But while he's doing it, he keeps being a person of love. Say, often if you feel weak, realize it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to share. You can share out of your weakness. Probably the people I've helped the most through the journey of finding faith and then living in faith is because I've shared my weaknesses, not my strengths. It's not the stuff I'm good at, but the stuff I struggle through creates a space for people to find Christ. So maybe as I land, I would ask you this question, do you believe with the Apostle Paul, he said in Acts 20, 35, he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you actually believe that? Is it, is it genuinely true in your mind that it's actually a, a more wonderful reality to be a giver than a getter? That's what Jesus said. He said it's more blessed. You know that word blessed, uh, some translations say it's like uh, happy to the point of envy, that, that people would go, you've got it. I don't know where you find that contentment. It's, it's the happiness that Charlie Mackesy, this high-flying uh, British uh, artist, travels to the darkest, poorest parts of Africa, and he sees in people's eyes a happiness that he can't find in England. Not amongst his wealth, not amongst his friends, not amongst any of his successes. He sees in the poorest of places, and he sees a happiness to be envied. He says, blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Tim Keller calls it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The wondrous thought that you would stop thinking so much about yourself and you would begin to become a person of love who gets over yourself and realizes there are full nations that haven't heard the gospel. And that you could become so free that you live in a home that you go, that's not mine. Here's a, here's a thought. When you begin to go, actually, this home might not be mine forever. I might actually be called to some places I've, I, I didn't think I'd live. I, I, might, I might be called to, to the Middle East. 
I might be called to, to Africa. I might be called to South America. Yes, you. You've got the Spirit of God living in. You could go help plant churches. You could help make, uh, strengthen people who are, who are partnering to bring the gospel to all kinds of places around the world. We're going to be sending a couple in a little while to go and continue their missionary work in other parts of the world. But, but let's not say, hey, it's just for them. It's for us. We're a people who are called to be a people of love, who live for what's way beyond us. There's nothing more freeing than living in a home going, oh, God could call me out of this any day. It's not everything to me. It's awesome. It's a wonderful feeling. It's terrifying, right? But it's way more exciting. Suddenly you're not beholden to it. Suddenly it doesn't master you. Suddenly it doesn't tell you. You don't have this school, like, which school will I get my kids into? No. What if you have to homeschool your kids like Andy's whole family did in the middle of Madagascar? Because God calls you to one of the poorest islands in the world and says, go plant a church and go strengthen a church and go strengthen believers. There's a fear in that, but there's a freedom that goes way beyond. What if you weren't bound or beholden to, to the, the kind of culture's ex- expectations of our future? Didn't expect this on your long weekend, eh? Maybe we could also work on becoming a little more interruptible. Had a lovely conversation. I, I get the feeling that every time Jesus works in power, it's because he's an interruptible person. So little of his ministry did he plan. You know, have a meeting, guys. It's going to be on Sunday morning, 9.30. We're going to da 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 da, da. Th- th- Those things were crucial. He went to the temple every day, did all those things in routine. But so much of the powerful ministry of Jesus was because he was interruptible, and he didn't have the ability and the increasing ability to see a number and go, hmm, swipe the other way. Whew. Don't know the number. And you, put the, you don't know the number, and you've become more and more uninterruptible, become more and more calloused to the thought that somebody could pitch up at my home, or I could pitch up at their home, and it could be a God intervention. We've had some lovely interruptions this week. I was about to break our church printer, by the way. I was so cross with it. And uh, Fab and Jen and our life group arrived early, just before I smashed it to smithereens. Joking, I wasn't that cross, but I was going to break a desk, maybe. Anyway, I some admin, and I was trying to rush before life group, and then Jen and Fab arrived early, and I couldn't get this thing through, and I was really frustrated, but I got interrupted, and, and, and they came in, and we had the most wonderful conversations, and, and suddenly life came. I didn't get my printing done. I didn't get what I needed to do. I still haven't got it done, and I'm trying so hard, but the point is, is when you're interruptible, God could be doing something way better. Stay interruptible. Work on becoming interruptible. And then thirdly, or finally, just remember, you can't fail. You can only learn. So let's try, in the name of Jesus, just love. Let's try to share what God's given us. What what has he given us? What is Philemon sharing? He's sharing the faith. He's not sharing his strength. He's not sharing what he's been given. You know, like, look how strong I am. Look how together I am. Look how cool we are as a unit. Look what we've got. He's going, actually, the most important thing I've got is this gospel, and you could never take it away from me. It's the most wonderful opportunity that I could provide to you is that you could also share in this faith, that you too could see what I've got. And as I share it, I grow in it, and as you get it, you grow it, and you begin to share it. There's nothing like it. I think as a church, we've got to learn to disconnect ourselves sometimes from the programs and begin to walk with the Spirit and go, God, what have you given me to share? 
Let me become interruptible. Teach me to love again. Galatians 5 verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow, how are we doing at just becoming a people of love, an interruptible people of love, sharing it and growing as we share it? Maybe as the band come up, I can just land where I started, which is to use that picture of a very comfortable lady holding her flat white and her dog in her leash and going, oh, I'm all alone here. Are we as a church maybe that? Have we potentially slipped into that and so we've lost the wonder of blessing? We've forgotten what it means to be a blessing. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the solutions. You just need to be a person who's received some grace and a person who's willing to then pass that grace on. Let's not hold on to our flat whites and stay cozy and warm. Let's ask God, where could you be taking me? The language that we used to use 20 years ago when I first came to faith was neighbors and nations. Neighbors and nations. You've got neighbors who need the love of Christ, the neighbors in your life group, the neighbors in your neighborhood, the neighbors in your schools, the colleagues of yours, they are your neighbors who need the love of Christ. And there's also nations. There's actually whole nations. There's places God's called us to. We're working more closely at the moment. We're looking at some, some trips we're going to start doing back to Madagascar. We are saying, God, that's a nation you've put on our hearts. You haven't sent a staff member to us so that we don't start beginning to increasingly reciprocate something of what you've put in our hearts. We had a prophetic word from uh, somebody recently who said, I just, uh, uh, both of us as a couple have just woken up to this thing of Madagascar before we'd even heard of Andy. And we're going, it's a nation God's called. There are churches. We've got relationships. We're going to begin to strengthen those churches. We're praying prayerfully, uh, carefully and thoughtfully about a partner church in Lange and how we can strengthen them and watch the space as we begin to say, God, how do we support our brothers and sisters who are uh, neighbors and part of nations, even in our own city? But we are not keeping our faith in this auditorium. We're going to share it with our neighbors. We're going to share it with the nations. We're not called to keep it neat, to keep it tidy, We're called to take it far and to take it wide and to share it liberally and to make some mistakes along the way and to realize we're a bit broken. We're going to get on that plane and we're going to get over the wall and we're going to make those phone calls because we're going to learn. We're going to make mistakes and God's going to teach us. Let's stand. Here we are, Lord. Send us. of people climbing up steep hills. Their bodies are aching. Their souls are burning. They're confused. They're lost. They're desperate. God, may we not be sipping our flat whites, looking at ourselves so self-conscious that we can't see what you're doing. Loving on our world. Loving on our neighbors. Loving on the nations. Break our hearts freshly. Make us a people who see what you see. Stir our hearts, God. May we have no ceilings put on us. 
maybe by expectations of others. Some in this room are going to far exceed what this leadership group have done. They're going to go plant churches. They're going to express greater faith than, than even is already present in this room as God calls and does amazing things with us. From this stage and from many other places, we're going to send people into other nations to strengthen, to plant, to start businesses and to start churches for the glory of God and the good of the gospel. A people called to the nations of the world. But God, we realize that many of our neighbors come from the nations. And so God, we choose to, to live in both. We're going to go to the nations, but we're going to go to our neighbors. And we pray that you would help us to become a people of love, to make mistakes while we do it, and to know that even those mistakes you'll use. us. God, as we sing, we sing over our neighbors. We sing over the nations. We, we enlist your powerful Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said when you receive the Spirit, you will be my witnesses. We want to be your witnesses to share the faith with our brother right next to us and, with, and our sister in these chairs, but also with those who haven't yet heard this. Coach us, God army of love ready to go where you call us.